Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by news editor Bradley Gerard. How are you doing, Bradley? Yeah, because I've had two coffees today, John, so watch out. I will. I will. <laughs> I'm worried now. Alex Newman, how are you doing, Alex? Good. Slowly tiring in results season, but yeah, it's been a it's been we'll a big one. It. It's been a big one this week. Yeah, result season is yeah. just hell. It, it is. It's just um, yeah. I think I've had five companies report today, so it's um, it's still you know, on the busy side of busy. Yeah, so we're busy next week as well in terms of what's going out in the magazine. Mm. Yeah, fewer results than this week, but yeah. nevertheless still busy. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about management, which is uh, an issue dear to my heart. Uh, they all get paid extraordinarily well. The management of uh, UK PLC. Uh, and we're going to discuss whether they're worth the money. And Bradley, you've contributed to this feature and your contribution was to look at some of the new chief execs who've come in quite recently yep. and to see what challenges lie ahead for them. And Alex, we're going to talk commodities. Yes. Because it's been a big week for commodities. It certainly has. Quite bizarrely. Yeah. So uh, I think we, we both wrote about this this week. Uh, yes. We started the week on Monday with the record iron ore spot price bounce, I think in... Well, at least since 2009, Bloom- Bloomberg ever. had it. Yeah, well, maybe the biggest uh, spike upwards. What is twenty twenty percent in a day? Yeah, which is enormous, and that's obviously revised down since. But yeah, we can talk a lot about the, uh, the whether we've we've bounced, mm, whether we've seen the bottom. In fact, uh, mm. let's let's come on to that in a minute. Let's start though with the general news. Although a lot of this I noticed Bradley re- relates to commodities and the the spike. Um, but let's talk let's talk news. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess one of the the biggest the stories um, today kind of links to commodities, I suppose, is um, EDF. I mean, that's quite a big story, obviously, the CFO. Well, according to the reports and what seems like the case, judging by their statement, has, has obviously walked out over his what seem to be his concerns about the uh, price of the Hinkley Point project. And I guess you might think, OK, it's a French company, what does it matter? But in fact, it matters a great deal to the UK PLC, because obviously if EDF pulls out, then the UK could be left without much of a you know, nuclear policy to kind of, um, actually, well, any nuclear policy. Hey, oh, really. I would say any energy policy. Well, any really, energy I mean, policy, this, yeah. this was the great hope, really. For well, it was, and it is. Policies. it remains the great hope. And I guess without that, you know, that the, the impacts on potentially a lot of the companies that we cover could could be quite stark. Yeah. I, I love, I love, I mean, there was some, there was some interesting, there's some great ironies in this whole story because the, the chief financial officer of EDF's name is Thomas Pikamal. Yes. And obviously the headlines or the, the, the coverage has suggested that this is a fit of peak, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, but actually, I mean, there was a very serious point underlying all of this, which is that obviously the government... George Osborne in particular had, had staked uh, a great deal on EDF and the Chinese mm. backing this this nuclear uh, reactor being built at Hinkley Point. Yeah, and I think the Chinese are actually quite a big part of it as well. Absolutely. And if EDF pulls out, what what do they do? That's unknown at the moment, but you're right, George Osborne's staked a lot of political capital on this, so it's a big deal. Mm, absolutely. And obviously, in the last budget, a lot of subsidies were withdrawn from the renewable sector, mm. um, I guess in favour of... of you know, more investment in nuclear. There were always question marks about this project, not least the price at which we were apparently going to be paying the consortium who built this reactor yep. for the energy. So a lot of people are celebrating this this apparent collapse of this deal. I think they might well be, yeah. I mean, as you say, the price um, would probably, let's face it, by by completion, will probably rise from the already high kind of £18 billion, uh, £18.5 billion figure that uh, it's actually going to cost already. Mm. So... Um, yeah, you know, it's it's an expensive project and 
potentially now in, in jeopardy. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I know uh, some people who will be celebrating, and that is the residents of uh, of Morden and District, Burnham on Crouch <laughs> and such like, because as part of this deal, uh, a reactor had also been agreed to be built at Bradwell-on-Sea, which is near where I live. And this one was much more heavily skewed towards the Chinese, but EDF were involved in that as well. And I've had letters from EDF talking about this project. And, you know, one wonders now whether this will get built either. Mm. I mean, it's a disaster. Yeah, and you've got a you've got a third reactor at Sizewell, Sizewell C, I yeah, think, I think again, right. or Sizewell B, can't remember which. But you know that that that's in jeopardy too. So you know we we do we really do have potentially a problem not too far down the line of keeping the lights on in the UK. Yeah, and um, as I said, you know this could affect things like support services companies, which we cover, and um, our listeners might be invested in. I mean, a big part of the case potentially for some of those businesses is that they are lined up to help support these new builds and if they don't go ahead that could be quite problematic for those businesses so this is scary stuff this it is, is this is properly scary stuff and that's much more serious than we usually like it is to yeah it is podcast and i guess as well today you've had the competition markets authority coming out and um they've obviously been working hard the past couple of years because they've put out this um thing today on energy prices and the the fact that um as consumers we're quite static we're quite lazy in switching and um I think they're basically saying if a company has a customer who is static in a variable rate for three years, then it's fair game. All their rivals can market to that person, or yeah. let's face it, multiple people to try and improve competition, which is a good thing. So as I understood it, this essentially revolves around getting better data on customers distributed to the industry at large so that they can market to these customers who perhaps behave in a, in a manner of yeah, inertia. Yeah, inertia, well. static customers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm one of them. I've got a I've got a gas supplier who I don't think is giving me the best deal, and have I moved? No, of course I haven't. Just go and you uh, switch. I, I I think I change I every know. year or every eighteen months. I honestly I do. I know, but then you know, there's so many things in life to sort out. You know, energy. Uh, it should well, that, be further up the list because it's quite expensive. This well, stuff. you can save quite a lot. I mean, without plugging it too much, I'd say just go online and use a you know something like you switch mm. which um doesn't take very long you need one of your bills to do it and they'll actually do it for you so and then yeah my commission's probably in the post i suspect but that's yeah. what i use yeah. um, you know so so i guess you know somewhere down the line you know if this actually comes into effect it's it's more bad news for the for the utilities well i think i think it could be because obviously it means that you can't just rely on the fact of these customers who don't look at what they're paying or do but don't do anything about it staying with you because they're going to get a, a litany of marketing through their email or post um which okay they might ignore but they might actually look at and then go oh yeah i'll switch now so it's just another added small maybe in comparison to the size that we're talking about of building you know and uh, nuclear energy facilities around the uk but it's nonetheless uh, a, com- a competitive issue for the industry indeed but then if you know if it's harder for for these guys to essentially you know fleece their customers you know it becomes less attractive for them to invest in new plant yeah i mean exactly right so so we've got a kind of weird chicken and egg situation here which is not going to solve the bigger problem that the country is facing no we're always talking about how well it is always talked about how energy companies are ripping off customers and not giving us the best deals but largely we don't really like paying more for energy than we need to or than we do already and yet we you know i'm, I'm sure our consumption habits aren't changing and they're only really likely to increase so well, yeah we've all got led light bulbs now haven't we and, and uh, charging our mobile phones every day and who knows eh? who knows interesting stuff uh utilities probably a sector we're not massively positive on at the moment certainly the 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 electricity side of things mm. water um emma has told us a number of times recently much more attractive what else we got 
Bit of a management shenanigans at Schroeder's. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, this is this is you know contra to any kind of governance standards that that most of us would believe these you know, large companies now operate by. And and I guess um, standards by which Schroeder's would want companies in which it invests to abide uh, by too. I mean, um, the yeah, this is um, the, the the code suggests that. Uh, Chief executives should not just be promoted after they decide to retire or leave to the post of chairman because that that chairman role is supposed to have a uh, a big dollop of independence. Absolutely, and it's arguable that if you've just been chief executive of a business, you might be skewed in some way. Um, Michael Dobson obviously benefits from the fact that Schroder's, well, a large proportion of Schroder's shares are held by the Schroder family, who is in favour of this move, clearly, as are other shareholders, I presume. But there were there was a bit of outcry in the press saying that really this, I guess, it's, it's just it's just bad form. You know, it's not there's nothing illegal or anything that's been that's been done here, but it's just kind of not really a favourable decision in the eyes of some. Although I suspect if you look at the results after their AGM, the majority will agree with the move. Yeah, well, you get the opportunity to vote it down at the AGM. You do, and there, there will be some dissenting votes, I suspect, if, especially if you judge by the press coverage, but not enough to you know, make it sort of reverse. Yeah, well, I mean, that seems to be a familiar story on the, the voting uh, direction when it comes to corporate voting mm. in, in the UK. And one wonders why sometimes these yeah. things get through. It's true. There's always outcry, but as you say, you have to go and vote to have your say. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, what else we got? Rail, talking of regulation. Yeah, no, yeah. This, another subject, dear to my heart, spending, as I do, <laughs> £4,000 a year commuting into London. Yep, um, and people spend, like yourself, spend you know the same or, or more. more? And, um, I know people spend more. There are. There's never a year goes by, I don't think, when just after Christmas you get that report on the news about how much rail fares have risen by. Um, I can't remember one saying where they've fallen. So um, the Competition Markets Authority, again, as I said today, they did the electricity bill thing. Um, a couple of days ago, they looked at uh, our rail network and they're suggesting that whether this will happen or not, who knows, but their suggestion is that there should be competition on um, the franchises. So at the moment, you'll have a franchise, say, Southwestern, which I think is run by Stagecoach, for instance, um, which serves parts of the Southwest and it serves parts of London and the regions around London. That is just Stagecoach's lines. They, they, they bid for it when it comes up and if they win it, that's it. And they, then they can, you know, the service can suffer. Okay, if it does, they might not get the franchise again when it comes up for tender but there's arguably no incentive for them to once they have the five-year or longer contract to really improve things so the cma is saying look if you have the ability for another rail company to act to actually have services on that franchise so, at the same time so two operators working on the same line yeah and this does this does exist in the uk one well one percent of rail journeys this exists on so obviously what and what it does is it means that if you want more passengers on your trains you have to obviously provide the better service and the more competitive prices potentially i'm really struggling to get my head around this so what, you know, the 922 is run by one company, the 936 is run by another. So what do you do? Well, I get you, know, you can't get on the 922, you wait for the 936 because you're getting... I don't even get it. Maybe the uh, particulars might, you know, get lost a bit uh, with the implementation of this. But mm, I, I guess... I the... so. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea, the idea is a good one. I mean, it, you know, the idea is that if you have... You, yeah, okay, as you say, you might... If you really have to get that train, it might be that you're on the provider that's maybe slightly less better on service but i guess the general aggregate would be that you could probably 
be a little bit flexible and maybe mm. choose the better fare or or everyone goes to the lower fare gets on the train not enough seats absolutely rammed any different to now your though? journey's an absolute nightmare at least your fare will be cheaper or you're stuck on the line because actually it's nothing to do with either of the operators on that line it's to do with network rail and it's a points failure or it's a signals failure or something like that and just you're in exactly the same boat as you were before, albeit well, paying you know a fraction less. Yeah, I mean that, those sorts of things aren't you know they're just things that happen. Doesn't seem very well thought through to me. Well, you should have a word with the CMA. Oh, well, I am here by <laughs> the, you know, the medium of podcasting. <laughs> anyway, you disagree about its benefits. I've heard so many new dawns for for, for British Rail. Well, yeah, I know I mean, it's British Rail in the sense of British Rail, not British Rail. Yeah, nationalised British Rail. The Rail of Britain, you mean? Yes, the Rail of Britain. Uh, <laughs> that I'm very sceptical that anything can be done to improve this beyond vast investment. You're that probably nobody right. seems prepared to do. No, you're probably right, and that, that's that's the key thing is the investment. You know, there's always uh, you know even looking ahead to the budget next week, there are always grand sort of um, sort of spectacles made about the amount we're going to invest in infrastructure, and it just doesn't really seem to kind of happen. No. Well, I went to watch West Ham. Who anyway, do they play? Sunderland, who are awful. But it took me about two and a half hours to get there because Crossrail is being built out on my line and, and you know, replacement buses and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, actually, this has been the story of the line for years. I mean, yeah, the investment in infrastructure means massive disruption for paying customers. Yeah, a lot of the time. Whether it's evening uh, works, or weekend works, you know what I mean? It's just... You know, this is what makes you think, am I really getting value for my £4,000 a year? Yeah, railways, mess. Yeah. and Not convinced myself. They might well stay that way. Yeah, I wouldn't. Again, for me, personally, I wouldn't ever invest in the uh, the rail operators. Wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. But there you go. That's just my personal point of view. Yeah. I, I once heard an analyst say something like, you know, worst business to invest in logistics. Uh, and there's two two extremes of that. One is moving stuff around, which is bad, and the, uh, but the worst is moving people around. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, the airlines are doing quite well. So uh, Yeah, that's true. Okay. Let's uh, let's turn quickly to the news section and we can bring in Alex here. Lead news story, what's driving the mining bounce? Mm. What is driving the mining bounce? What is? Flowers. It's all down to a flower show in China. <laughs> On Monday, the iron ore price uh, bounce that we alluded to at the, the, the beginning of the podcast was initially thought to be in response to comments from Chinese policymakers suggesting that they may buttress uh, economic growth, which obviously the signs are pointing to is, is clearly lagging and China has been lagging the historic rate of growth. It now transpires, according to a Financial Times report, that a series of steel mills closing down near Beijing in response to a flower show, which is going to be going on uh, towards the end of summer, may have been the cause of the spike in iron ore prices. This sounds mad. Well, is it mad? If it is mad, then the madness points to passing any information we are getting out of China. So the commodities bounce that we'll, we'll come on to and question whether this is actually happening is partly down to what we're, what I guess analysts are trying to make of demand in China, whether it is going to rebound. And I guess the uh, the uh, a flower show is, is, was probably not something that people were really expecting or, or building into their forecasts. No, it's a nice story though. It is a nice it story. It's a nice story. Yeah. I mentioned it in my editorial. The resource is riddle. Because to me, this is a riddle. I mm. mean, you know, this resources spike. I mean, I don't see, and I think there's a lot of analysts out there uh, Goldman Sachs, for example, uh, who are bearish on commodities anyway, but I think UBS had something to say on this as well. I don't see any 
thing that's changed to really drive a, a recovery in, in commodity prices. And in fact, you know, the data we had out of China last week in terms of export data was appalling. Yeah, and we have to remind ourselves that there is still huge oversupply. When we look at steel, for example, there's there's still huge production. Demand is nowhere near expected to, to catch up this year. And it's only a fortnight ago that the market seemed to take a bit of a, a, a turn again for the worse when BHP in the outlook for the year said that we're expecting commodity prices and volatilities continue for for, for longer. So, so here's, here's one of the largest companies uh, involved in uh, iron ore extraction. And they're saying things look bad for, for some foreseeable time. Indeed. And yet the market thinks otherwise. It may be. This is, a, this is a, I think, quite an important point as well, that everyone is waiting for the bottom and everyone is, is potentially afraid to miss the bottom once we bounce. So there's, a lot of, there's potentially a lot of jitteriness in markets that they, they think they may, be, they may miss the bottom once it uh, finally, finally starts to come off. That's, That's never been something that, you know, we've encouraged people to try and guess, mm. to second guess, you sure. know, when, when share prices have, have, have reached their, then a deer or, you know, commodity prices. I mean, you know, we've always said, you know, miss the bottom, fine. But, you know, if you, if you try and second guess where the bottom is, you could end up being on the receiving end of further falls. And in fact, wait for an established uptrend to, to appear yeah. before, before you do anything. So, I mean, that doesn't seem like a sensible trading strategy if that's what, what people are up to. Yes, yeah, so the iron oil price, to get back at 60, I mean, you know, we're not talking about a million miles short of where it was when business was booming. Indeed, yeah. You know, there's no, yeah. not much upside from there. Yeah. And, and you, you had one day to catch the bottom of that. Exactly. Unless it's going to fall further again. So uh, it's a tricky one. So what are our views on, on, on the mining uh, plays at the moment? Then? Anglo, Glencore, yeah. Rio so, BH, BHP. So since the, uh, since the, the nadir on, uh, towards the end of January, uh, when the prices of the, the large miners were at their lowest... The stocks that you just mentioned there, so Glencore and Anglo-American have, have doubled. Rio and B, BHP, slightly less indebted groups, still done very, very well. Our view is is, is generally hold across the, se- the, the sector with the exception of, of Rio, which uh, we are buyers of for the income because we think the, the dividend payment there is, is uh, well, at least the most safe of the sector. But like, yeah, exactly as you, you as you mentioned before, John, that it's probably impossible to have called the bottom a month ago. The the view generally was that uh, that some of the large miners were so indebted that they could be heading for you know a really really very serious crash. So this a lot of this seems to be sentiment driven. I mean the fundamentals haven't changed enormously. We're still very very cautious uh, on the outlook for the big miners. Okay. What about oil? Oil's been uh, also staging a bit of a. Not quite as dramatic, but a bit of a recovery nevertheless. What's what's going on there? So the oil price picked up to just over forty dollars. Um, oil stocks seem to be uh, have also have also tracked that rally. Again, Goldman Sachs, when they're commenting when they were commenting on the this you know, supposed uptick for commodities, mentioned that this may just be this may just be a function of uh, re-leveraging. So, in other words, that they are some you know capitalists that either been injected back into the you know some of the some of the larger oil players, but that the actual fundamentals for oil still remain, still remain pretty pretty bearish. So, I, I guess it's been a great hope that this uh, production freeze that have been, has been talked about by Saudi and Russia is, is, has a part to play in this as well. Um, Iran, not necessarily playing ball at the moment. Uh, yeah, all those things you say, John, are true, I think. Uh, the, particularly the, the hope that Saudi Arabia will 
um, in the view of many, I suppose, come to its senses and stop pumping out quite as much oil. Yeah, well, see, I, I've read a view as well, though, uh, the bearish view on the oil price, which is, well, OK, it's all, it's all very well to say, yeah, we're going to freeze production, but you're freezing production, you're locking in, you're crystallising that higher level of production that is the problem in itself anyway. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't. Sit, they're not cutting production and they're not creating demand. Mm. So... Until what's, that happens, what's it going to solve? Yeah, indeed. Until that happens, it's it's going to be a long, long run until there is a spike. What we can probably say is that when there is a spike, it will be significant and unexpected. Mm. Yeah, great. Look forward to it being uh, <laughs> being a, a driver to the station in the mornings. Driving to the station for my expensive train journey. Um, I mean, let's let's quickly turn to results, Alex. You you would have uh, no doubt picked up a few uh, miners and oil producers in this week's. Uh, bumper results section it was actually more of a for me it was more of a support services uh week but there was uh, there's one miner that we've talked about quite a lot which is bacchanora minerals which uh, ah. uh brought out their pre-feasibility study this is the lithium miner. lithium yes this, this is the, list on AIM. the new the new hot commodity indeed yeah um well this is what you spoke about at the london investor show wasn't it this was uh yeah it's kind of the key the core of your your presentation yeah so it's a i, I suppose an alternative to the miners given that the fundamentals of lithium slightly less geared to the sort of global growth and the and the the, the uh, industrial metals that mm. um that are, that are connected to that so so bacchanora uh, which is aimed aim traded stock uh, they have a, a mine in uh, sonora mexico huge huge deposit they have just published their pre-feasibility study there and they 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 basically have set the roadmap for the next few years the big big um risks for for bacchanora are getting joint venture partners so to build offtake agreements. And secondly, they are going to have to do a very, very large uh, debt and equity uh, fundraising at some point later in the year. So Which is what you'd expect from a small of course, yeah. producer Indeed. or explorer. Yeah, but the, the, I guess the, the quantum of the dilution there is, is, uh, is remains to be seen. It's probably going to be quite, quite significant. But we're bullish on back and all. We think it's a nice story and... Uh, you know, for those investors which like miners, we think it's one which isn't quite as badly exposed to the the ongoing woes we're seeing. In. And why, why do we like lithium in particular? Lithium is so lithium batteries, uh, indeed batteries. Um, and there, you know, there's the various forecasts for enormous growth in the demand for lithium. And once, uh, once, for example, electric cars come online and uh, uh, sold on mass, they'll be using a lot more lithium than the lithium currently in your in your mobile phone or laptop at the moment um, except we won't have any anything to charge them with if we don't have any power stations so brings it nicely back around to EDF absolutely yeah. um, you Alex have one headline of the week this week Brammer House of Horror yes it's, it's, it's a work of genius unfortunately it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's no consolation to the people at Brammer uh, <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's not my favourite ever headline, which was uh, Julian Hoffman, who's, who's left us now. But he, he wrote a headline for a company called Shaft Sinkers. Shaft Sinkers Profit Stinker. Um, but yeah, Brammer House of Horror comes close. Yeah, what's, what's, what's going on at Brammer? So uh, Brammer, for investors who aren't aware, they, they distribute engineering components. Distribution always a very, very tricky yeah. uh, uh, sector to catch in the, in the cycle. They've got a real sales problem in the UK and Nordic areas. And they account for about half of revenue. And they've So they've seen decline in sales, been hit by currency. This is all back again to the oil price. So so those markets quite geared to to uh, strong activity in uh, in oil and gas services. Brammer's been hit by it. And uh, yes, mm. unfortunately, fit, it fitted 
too well with a with a slightly cheesy headline to resist. It's it's a great headline. It's a great headline, Alex. Uh, Amy Foster Wheeler. They've had exposure to this uh, oil price slump as well. Things are going to be better for them. They are. So you um, updated them in this week's magazine on a tip that's not gone so great. Yes. Uh, not one of yours, I hasten to add. But you're, uh, I'll take responsibility you're, you're inheriting this, yeah. uh, this bad tip. But it's, I mean, the shares are up 10% today, so even better than they were when you wrote this piece. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so what's, I mean, what's going on there? So the, the piece in the mag, so this was uh, Monday's news that they've, they've refinanced uh, their debt, which was a big, big concern. Even better today, their net debt position, which I don't think they were able to talk about in Monday's release, for the end of the year, it was well ahead of, of analyst expectations. That's going to be good news for cash flow. I mean, and, and also that they're uh, that can accord in their coverage of uh, of Amec talk a lot about trying to bust the myth around uh, or some of the myths around Amec Foster Wheeler. They're actually not quite as geared to oil and gas services as as the market seems to have priced them in. Mm. And uh, yeah, very, very disappointing on a long-term tip. But we see a lot of, I mean, this is, I think, now quite a strong recovery story. So um, sticking with it. we're going to stick with it All um, right. and recover some of the, that lost ground. Okay. Uh, while we're on the tip updates page, um, let's, let's talk about something that's been a bit more successful. And this is one of yours, Panda Consulting. Yes. So This Pen- was a tip of the year. Yeah. And it, it was the takeover tip of the year. And, and it, guess what's happened? It's been taken over. Woo-hoo! And And Adeco, which... Uh, uh, likely to be the buyers uh, can send either in payable either in Swiss francs or pounds their their M and A fees. The address is at the front of the magazine. <laughs> so Penner yeah, checks payable to John Huben. Okay, obviously. fair enough. I can't take that much credit for it because um, J P Morgan identified ad placement groups, which Penner is an example of, as offering a real premium to the large staffers. Just to explain briefly what outplacement is. So typically when we th- think about recruiters, they do the hiring for businesses. Increasingly, companies also want to help their employees transition. This sounds like a euphemism for something bad. When they fire them, <laughs> uh, when they fire them, they're finding them new jobs. And that's, that is a growing phenomenon. Penn are very, very good at it. They've got a 30% share of, it, of, of the market in the UK. And uh, they were acquired by Adeco, which is uh, is building a track record of doing this now. So this is an agreed deal. Then. It is. The more I think about it, though, and the more I look at the, the bulletin boards, the more I actually think this is slightly underwhelming. I think it's underwhelming. Thirty percent. So we've had a thirty percent rise in the the tip, which is really good news. I think for for less than three months, and it's up nearly sixty percent since we tipped it in October. But there is a clause in the takeover deal that means that any counterbid has to come in at least 15% above the current offer. That's a huge premium for what we often see in bid situations. And, I mean, I've put this question to Penner. I, w- I would quite like to know how they square that with their, their fiduciary duty to shareholders if an offer came in 10% above, if Randstad or some of the other big staffers actually thought, you know, this is quite a good company, we might like it as well. I, I would wonder how they would they would answer that. I'm sure mm. they really want to get the deal done, but there could be more value in FinCap sent a uh, set a 390 pence uh, target price on the stock, so 365p maybe a, a little bit shy of of the true value. Maybe, maybe that said, I mean you talk about shareholders. One of the reasons we tipped this was because a major shareholder is the chairman. Yes, and he is, I think, as we pointed out in the tip of the year, getting on a bit. He's 75. 75. Yeah. I think mm. he might, you know, I might want to retire when I'm 75. So yeah. that was that was, that was was one of the reasons. Yeah. I kind of thought, yeah, I mean, you know, it makes sense. He's, this is a guy, owns a big chunk of the business, heavily involved in it. 
Yeah. Maybe we're, looking for an exit. We're respected in the industry. Yeah. Work very closely with Azeka already. I'm sure there will be some management arrangements for the, you know, if this if this mm. uh, gets agreed for, for the board of Penna. That said, I do find it slightly troubling. This is nothing to do with Penna, really, or Adeco or anybody else. I do find it slightly troubling that big recruitment groups are now interested in outplacement specifically because allegedly we're in an economy where everything's going great guns and, you know, we don't have to worry about laying people off left, right and centre. Maybe that's why unemployment's so low. Mm, absolutely. They're, being, absolutely. they're about to fall to the ground and they're picked up by yeah. the lovely people at Penna and such alike. I mean, to me, again, such a, it's a you know, kind of perhaps I'm, getting all conspiratorial about this but i look at that and i think yeah maybe maybe the maybe the world is not in not such great health as everyone thinks of it's you know if an outplacement group that, that whose business is based on taking people from redundancy to new jobs is is in such demand then you know they know something we don't what i what i think penner would say to that is that they because they're quite a niche they're quite small there's always going to be an industry in uh, in the down cycle we've seen it with the large supermarkets who they they work mm. very very closely with we've seen it with oil and gas services thousands of people being laid off there's always going to be work for them in a particular indus- industry they're a lot smaller than the large staffers so they they represent you know quite a small equity premium but an important equity premium when for example you know the big contracts Randstad might have with or a deco have with the shell is basically on on hold for this year. They're not going to be hiring anyone soon. Yeah. The other yeah. thing as well, which it's important to pick up on, is in in you know this is increasingly the case that automation for lots of low skilled work is going to be just wiping out chunks of the chunks of the workforce. So that that transit that you know that transition or however you know whatever the HR speak is for this, the letting people go part of recruitment is is going to get bigger as technology slowly takes all our jobs terrifying well let's hope they don't learn how to write stories or analyze financial statements they already can shut up (laughs) (laughs) alex is a robot (laughs) are you he doesn't have any stuff we'll talk about that another day Uh, okay let's um let's move to the cover feature so bradley you didn't write the main bit of the cover feature which is which is essentially uh philip ryland wrote this it's a a follow-up to what we did last year it's going to be an annual thing from now we're really looking at the performance of management uh over time who's the best who's the worst you know can we actually start to look at this objectively can we take out things like uh the sector influence the market influence and, and to actually work out who's good who's bad i think we've done that so bradley um you you wrote a piece to to really compliment philip's analysis uh, and his big spreadsheets and you've looked at some managers who've started recently uh, and the challenges they face. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think actually Philip starts this feature by talking about Mark Bolland, who's stepping down soon from M&S. And so one of the sort of new bosses of the well, the new guards, as we've called it, um, that we kind of did a little profile of is Steve Rowe, who's taking over from Mr. Bolland at Marks & Spencer. Yeah, I, mean, so I like the sound of this guy. Yeah, I mean he's he's um he's a, he's a bit of an M&S lifer really and he's actually the guy who was um well can be credited with the success of the food division at M&S um which has been part of the company that has fired very well. Mm, um absolutely. The, the problems uh, with M&S really come with its fashion sort of part of the business which has just kind of tried and tried and tried again to Well you say fashion. Well that, oh, yeah, well, that may, yeah, 
maybe 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 that's the problem in M&S they call it fashion but not many of its customers do so yes it, it's clothing range then I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase uh, rephrase that that that's been the struggle for them they've tried again and again to capture the imagination of the high street shopper but the yeah their clothing line hasn't really done that so yeah that will be a challenge for Mr Rowe taking over because um, yes he did a fantastic job with food but can he run the whole business um we've looked at five other bosses as well so six in total i guess some interest a couple of interesting ones to pick out maybe would be alison Britton over at whitbread which owns costa coffee and uh, premier inn the like for likes there are softening quite a lot um high street footfall is impacting costa quite a lot the large amount of supply especially in london um is having an impact on premier inn so miss Britton, i suppose has a bit of a challenge in the fact that andy harrison kind of left on a high and um she has this yeah, challenge of uh stepping up to the top of the business um that yeah has sort of like looks like the trading trends of it are softening yeah i mean i did a similar feature a few years ago you know i kind of looked at so a couple of guys in that one i did uh for example uh philip clark mm. who took over at tesco from uh sir terry lee and he was taking over a business at the peak of its powers and look what happened after that so i mean i guess that's a similar challenge to to the one faced here by by alison britain absolutely and um i mean there's no reason why she can't do it and i think actually one one sort of um potential uh thing in her favor i would argue is that yes she's inherited a business arguably at the top of its game and a bit of a stock market darling but she's also inherited a very large um well i, I would say it's a pretty large um expansion plan and so it would be within her remit if she wanted to i would say to curb that because it's not her going back on her own plan so and i think if she did that if she thought you know what this this growth trajectory of the company is a bit too fast at this point in time mm. i think the stock would respond to that okay. but there's no sign that's what she's going to do by the way that's just my instinct of a, a thing she has in her advantage she's got some regal room is what you're saying i'm suggesting that yeah okay i mean she is i would say the polar opposite of steve rowe of M and S, I mean, yeah. Steve Rowe, M and S lifer. You know, he knows it. He knows that business inside out. He's yeah. probably stacked the shelves at some point. Yeah, Addison Britain, not a hotels or coffee. No, joined person. from a bank. She's joined from a bank. Yeah, so uh, you know, maybe um, good at looking at the numbers, though. Maybe that's what she'll uh, mm. she'll do. But um, and I guess the other one um, that's uh, I think interesting as well, maybe a bit of a smaller company, but Card Factory and Karen Hubbard's taken over. And again, I think this is a, an example of taking on a business that's just so popular. And I think uh, maybe uh, Miss Hubbard's biggest challenge could be keeping that momentum going, although the company is pretty cash generative, so she might not struggle too yeah. much. I mean, cards has been a difficult sector for investors over the years on the on the UK stock market. We've had Clintons, which had trouble. You know, if I looked at Karen Hubbard's CV, if she was coming for a job with me, I would look at that and say... Had a lot of jobs recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, over a fairly long time, to be fair to her. But um, I mean, they have all been in retail at least. Oh, hang on, um, she moved to B and M European Value Retail in 2014. Okay, that that means that was quite quick. recent. <laughs> that was quick. Um, the, 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 as the 2009, roles. she moved to BP BP in 2008. She uh, came to the UK to do a job. I mean, that's that's a, that's that's four pretty big jobs in. You know, six, six, seven years. I suppose that's true. Um, yeah, well, it's a good question. I'm not her, so I can't answer you. But <laughs> no, 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 I mean, you know, I just, you know, I know what I look for in recruitment. Stability. Yeah. You know, commitment. Maybe maybe she's found her true home. 
maybe she's found the true home. Who knows? But maybe she will move on in a couple of years. But the, the business is um, Cars Factory is doing doing pretty well. It's um, it's uh, a popular stock for us. We we're sort of fans of Cars Factory. Absolutely. Um, we did a little video on this, didn't we? Did a site visit on Car Factory. Yes, a yeah. while back. It's worth a worth a view if you got a, a chance. You can have a look at the uh, the, the uh, inside of that business yep. before she joined. I think it was. Yep. Okay. No interesting stuff. Now I, I mean I'm intrigued. Um, you talk about Whitbread, mm. uh, another company. Perhaps with a, a parallel mm. is Restaurant Group that you covered in results this week. You know, this was a stock market darling too. Yeah. Not so much anymore. No, I, I've, um, again, not to sort of um, get rid of any responsibility. I did inherit this as a tip, but, you know, on, on my own shoulders be it, I have kind of main, maintained it as a, as a buy. Um, a little while ago, it said it would hit its, um, you know, guided target for profits. And admittedly, that was down on what they had originally said earlier in the year mm. so they had a, a target at the start of the year then they revised that and then in a, in the last trading statement they said we will, we will hit that revised target so people knew what was coming um but they had a big fall in january and at the time i sort of took some time to speak to a few analysts and kind of get the measure of what was going on and the general consensus was this is a bit of an extreme move it fell about 20 percent on a, in a day and it just didn't seem to make sense that that was um, a justified move. And then, again, I'm covering the results on Monday and come in and I'm facing a stock that's down about 17%. That's another vertical line I see on that share yeah, price Yeah, exactly. And you just say to yourself, okay, well, what do you do here? Um, and I just think from reading, reading the analyst notes and speaking to management themselves, I, I think now... If nothing else, on 13 times forward earnings, the company's probably not been that cheap for a long time. Yes, you're going to tell me you know, things can be cheap for a reason. But I would suggest that the strategy is having an impact on the like-for-like sales. So they're opening a lot more like Chiquito and Coast to Coast brands. And that often they are doing that on a site whereby there's already a Frankie and Benny's, which they already own. So they're cannibalising sales from... To a degree. Sales. I mean, that, 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 you can't say that's the the whole reason for the reduction in life flag sales, but it is um, it is a reason. It's one that I, I think r- would ring true and is believable. Um, demand falling is obviously another one, perhaps more important, and the question about whether that will... Mm. rebound or are we in a sort of talking about employment earlier you know are we in a situation where people actually aren't securing that jobs they're not spending as much as they would um perhaps i mean you know there's all these things about the consumer which are very 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 hard to decide upon and i think my view is that given what they have in terms of brands if they're finding it hard, everyone else will be finding it equally as difficult, if not more. Well, I think you mentioned the piece that we've, we're seeing more discounting in that sector yeah. than, than we have for a while. This was a feature of that sector quite some time ago. It kind of disappeared. Yeah. The, the the bigger companies were able to kind of yeah, push their pricing a bit more, yeah. uh, have, have more autonomy over their pricing. We've perhaps gone back to a situation where competition is much fiercer than it yeah. has been for a while. And that would suggest that the consumer is becoming a little bit, a little bit less willing to spend. Um, and this was a phenomenon we noted on the retailers um, as expenditure went towards leisure and experience. Mm. But now it seems that it's, you know, the malaise is spreading a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And um, I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I've, as I said, I decided to stick with it. I think um, I just think the, 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 the cash generated by the new openings is very strong. And net debt came down quite a lot, even compared to just the half year results. Okay. So. There, there are positives there. Um, yes, you know, the question, has the horse bolted or is there more to come is, is the key one. But um, You know, I always used to, I always used to struggle 
uh, when I was covering consumer sectors because I kind of really found it really hard to get my prejudices out of my uh, my, my analysis of yeah. these companies. And you know, I I, will, I can safely say I have never eaten in a, in a restaurant group outlet, which perhaps says something. I've looked at them. And I noticed that, you know, on my way home from uh, from the golf club, <laughs> there is on the on a, on a roundabout in Chelmsford called the Army and Navy, a uh, restaurant group opened a Chiquitos and a Franklin Benny's next to each other. Mm. I drove past them quite a lot and it, neither of them seemed to ever be very busy. And I kind of thought to myself, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Now I wonder whether they really do. I mean, that that's going to be the key question. I think the, the thing that I will be definitely watching out for is, yes, the growth so far... Um, you know, it, it's it's good in terms of the fact that the, the investment they're the investment they're putting into the new sites. Um, you know, they're getting a lot of cash back from that quite soon. That is good. Um, there is going to be some cannibalization. That's fine. The the problem will come when the cannibalization becomes too much. Well, how many growth... new sites are there that they can open into? Well, exactly. You know, so that's... there there is going to be a point whereby perhaps um, this downward trend in the share price will keep on going. Um, yeah, uh, my, my faith remains at the moment. Mm. I mean, this is something you mentioned in your new spotlight this week, which is can the consumer sector maintain its dominance? And that dominance is quite new. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that they overtook the financial services sector to yeah. become the biggest component of the FTSE 100. So we won't talk about that now. But so uh, yeah, one, one for you to go and read in the magazine there. But it's, it's an interesting question. I and, You know, I do wonder about the UK consumer. Absolutely. I think... Uh, Things are not always quite as rosy as uh, they are made to appear. Having said that, Hotel Chocolat is about to float on AIM. Now, this is. is everything that Thornton's wasn't. Well, uh, management will be hoping that everyone thinks that, yeah, if they're going to float on the stock market. It's nice chocolate. It is good chocolate. But then I quite like Thornton's as well, But uh, as did Ferrero, which bought it. So, you know, is, is this the fever tree of the, uh, the, the, the chocolate market? Well, it's a fantastic question. I mean, it's um, as you say, it's the... Uh, Arguably, depending on your point of view, I suppose, uh, the slightly upmarket version of Thornton's. And um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how they do and whether this is maybe a, a top of the consumer cycle uh, listing or, you know, a, a well-timed one. Only time will tell. Unfortunately Only so. Time will tell. Well, we've got so many results this week that we've covered that we can't. We don't have time to talk about anymore. Paddy Power. That's interesting. First results of the emerged entity. Um, yeah, it was um, true, uh, but it is um, only includes the Q3 update of Betfair. That's true. But I've always liked Paddy Power, despite being a, a gambler, which I don't like. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. It's just bizarre, isn't it? They, I like their branding. They, they're quite they're quite amusing. It's just, uh they are quite funny. They're a funny business, uh, but also very smart, very slick operators. Indeed. Okay, let's call it a day there. We've witted on for ages. There is absolutely loads of the magazine. As I said, we've barely touched the cover feature, which is really interesting. I think management, from my perspective, is something that's much overlooked when people are making investment decisions, and hopefully this will help guide one in the right direction. Uh, Algie Hall this week returns with another uh, classic stock screen, Genuine Value. It's been a great performer over the years. A debut sector focus from Megan Boxall on uh, M&A in the pharmaceutical sector and she's done her first video this week with uh, with Harriet our uh, recently promoted sectors editor probably got you know 60 or 70 results in this week's mag along with tip updates and some tips and uh, lots of news as well all the usual comments Simon Chris Nicole and plenty in the personal finance and funds section in particular a look at gold which has been flying as along with the other commodities 
a contradiction, I would suggest, as I do in my editorial. But yeah, have a look at that because uh, there's been a, a huge inflow into gold ETFs recently. Is there anything to it? So thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Bradley. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. In the meantime, go and pick up the magazine, get the measure of management, Britain's bosses rated uh, in all good news agents and supermarkets, £4.70. And see you again soon. Goodbye. 